A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From London, this is The Standard Podcast and I'm Mark Blunden. Two emergencies unfolding in China and Iceland. At least 126 people were reportedly killed in a magnitude 6.2 earthquake in a freezing mountainous region of northwest China on the Tibetan Plateau. Search and rescue operations are underway in the country's Gansu and neighbouring Qinghai provinces as rescuers work in sub-zero temperatures. The China Earthquake Network Centre said the quake struck at a relatively shallow depth of six miles just before midnight on Sunday. The disaster left more than 500 people injured, severely damaged roads and houses and knocked out power and communication lines, according to Chinese state media. Tremors were felt about 60 miles northeast of the epicentre, with CCTV footage showing diners sprinting out of a restaurant as the earthquake hit. Meanwhile, thousands of miles away in Iceland, a long grumbling volcano erupted in the country's southwest Reykjanes Peninsula after weeks of intense earthquake activity, but without casualties. Lava from the large volcanic eruption appeared to be flowing away from the only town in the area, offering hope that homes would be spared. For insight into these seismic incidents and the latest detection technology being deployed, the Standard Podcast is joined by Dr Brian Bapti, an earthquake seismologist based at the British Geological Survey in Edinburgh, who works on earthquake hazard and observational seismology. We asked Dr Bapti, what do we know so far? The earthquake occurred at the northern margin of the Tibetan Plateau. That's a mountainous area that results from the collision of two of the Earth's tectonic plates, India and Eurasia. So India is moving north and colliding with Eurasia, and this collision creates this kind of mountain belt. And it's a very wide mountain belt, and there's deformation throughout it, and that results in high levels of earthquake activity all the way from the kind of foothills of the Himalayas in India all the way up to through Tibet and into Mongolia. How prone is the region to earthquakes? Because of these high levels of deformation, there are high levels of earthquake activity throughout the area. There have been some very big earthquakes here in the past that have caused large numbers of fatalities, uh, you know, earthquakes within a few hundred kilometres of yesterday's event, uh, including one in 1920 that was probably one of the most deadly earthquakes in the 20th century. What has the British Geological Survey monitoring equipment picked up and what is the equipment that you use In the UK, we operate a network of sensors. These sensors are very sensitive instruments called seismometers, and they can detect very small ground motions from both earthquakes nearby and very distant earthquakes like yesterday's. So we detected the signal from yesterday's earthquake about 10 minutes after it occurred. But the ground motions, of course, for that here were very, very small. They're off the order of a few nanometers. But of course, closer to the epicenter, the ground motions would have been much, much larger, and those would have 
been detected and were detected by the sort of global seismograph networks, networks of connected sensors that are all around the world and operated by different agencies. The sensors themselves are usually maybe range between 20 to 40 centimetres high, maybe around 5 to 10 centimetres in diameter. And they're usually buried in the ground, either in boreholes or in underground vaults, or even just buried in a hole in the ground for sort of temporary deployments. And those When the ground shakes or moves, they respond, they generate an electrical signal that's proportional to the amplitude of the ground movement. And we use those signals to both locate the earthquake, which is basically just a form of triangulation, and also work out how big the earthquake was. How well prepared is China for earthquakes and disaster relief? So in general, China is very well prepared for earthquake disasters. They have large numbers of emergency response teams who can be rapidly mobilised to respond to such events. So in general, they're well prepared. I don't know a lot about the specific response in this case, but more generally, because earthquakes are such a problem and such a risk in China, there is a lot of effort goes into disaster preparedness and also disaster response. What are the risks with aftershocks in the days ahead? And could you explain what an aftershock is? Most large earthquakes are followed by what we call aftershocks. That's events that occur in the period of time after the main shocks. And they occur because the main shock changes the state of stress in the Earth's crust. And to get back to some kind of equilibrium, we observe aftershocks. And these can continue for days, weeks, or even months after the main shock. The number of aftershocks and their maximum size usually depends on the size of the main shock. So the bigger the main shock, the bigger the aftershocks we'd expect. But a general rule of thumb is that for something like a magnitude 6 earthquake, like yesterday's, we might expect the largest earthquake to be around about magnitude 5. Let's go to the ads. Coming up, analysis of the earthquake activity before Iceland's volcanic eruption and how artificial intelligence is being used for quake detection. Why not hit follow in the meantime and give us a rating? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to our conversation with the British Geological Survey's Dr Brian Bapti. What was the seismic activity leading up to the Iceland volcanic eruption? 
Iceland experiences both earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. And today's or yesterday's eruption, there was lots of seismic activity associated with that. So as the magma pushed its way up through the Earth's crust, that causes deformation and results in lots of earthquakes. And those earthquakes are an indicator that something is, is happening. And that's what agencies like the Iceland Met Office use to be able to try and forecast how likely an eruption is. So in general terms, you know, these eruptions are associated with earthquakes, usually they're relatively small, so they're less of a hazard than the eruption themselves. Could you explain what deformation is? In the case of the the Tibetan plateau, it's basically two rock masses pressing up against each other and squeezing so they're being deformed, so they shape changes and the stress in the rock changes. In terms of Iceland, it's magma or material moving up from depth in the Earth's crust, molten material and again, that squeezes the surrounding crust and can result in deformation and earthquake. Where are the other main earthquake risk zones globally right now? The main earthquake risk zones are really very well known. So we, we kind of have a fairly good idea where earthquakes are most likely around the world. Unfortunately, we can't say where the next big earthquake is going to be. But areas like the, the sort of circum-Pacific region, the so-called Ring of Fire, is very seismically active. So that would include places like Japan, um, South America, Indonesia, all of those regions. The Himalayan region, as I've already said, is very seismically active. And that's a kind of very wide region that stretches all the way from China through India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and all the way into Turkey and Europe itself. So that kind of alpine Himalayan belt is another area where earthquake risk is relatively high. What more would you like to see being done for earthquake preparedness? Ultimately, it's the vulnerability of the buildings that result in fatalities in these earthquakes. So really, there has to be good building practice. There has to be good building regulation. So those two things need to exist. And, you know, in in many places, that's a real success story and buildings are much less vulnerable to earthquakes. Another thing that can be done um, is retrofitting of existing buildings, but that can be quite expensive to do that for large numbers of existing buildings. So it can be quite problematic, but trying to reduce the vulnerability of existing buildings is generally something that's going to going to help. Another thing that could help is just wider preparedness amongst the populations in vulnerable areas. So being able to know what to do if an earthquake strikes, that may also be, 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 be useful as well. Could you tell us more about the AI and machine learning research you're doing? We're trying to use machine learning algorithms to detect earthquakes sort of automatically, very quickly, and also to detect very small earthquakes so that we can improve our existing earthquake, what we call earthquake catalogues. So those are just basically records of earthquake activity. And then try and use those both to improve our understanding of earthquake hazard and also to try and think about how we might be able to make better forecasts of earthquakes in the future. In terms of the detection, so we're using neural networks to basically do some kind of pattern recognition. So these neural networks are very, very good at recognizing patterns and data. So they're trained using data from all around the world, and then we can apply them to to kind of new data sets. And then from that, we can improve our existing catalogs of earthquake activity. And how far back do the data sets go you're training the software with? 
certainly decades of information from places where there have been lots of earthquakes and earthquakes are very well recorded. So places like California or Japan or Italy are all places that have got long records of earthquake activity and lots and lots of recordings because the way that kind of machine learning works is you need to train on lots and lots of data. Uh, so it only really works if we have that data to start with. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. We're back on Wednesday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.